Hello, and thanks for checking out our video here at Calmo this week. Have you ever heard somebody say something about God said this or God said that and wondered if God really said that? This week we're starting a new sermon series exploring some confusion or misunderstandings perhaps about what God really did say. Chad Rogers from our preaching team will be sharing his insights on what God really said about the things that we do. And this is going to be his full message and I pray that you find it interesting and helpful. And now, here's Chad. Hi everyone. Chad here to bring you this week's message for Calumball. We're uh, kind of starting a series, we're in a series uh, talking about things that God never said. And this week, we're going to talk about a saying here that you may or may not have heard. Um, the saying is, it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you don't hurt anyone. I don't know if you can remember using it or hearing it or not, but I remember using it uh, when I was young. Um, sometimes, you know, it either I either said it uh, before or after I did something reckless or stupid. Um, I always thought that just because it only involved myself and whatever it was that I was doing, that there's no way that I would be hurting anybody else. I never give it a second thought whatsoever that I could be hurting others, even though they were not involved. Now, my mother usually took the brunt of this, you know, worrying all the time about what I was doing and if I was okay, where I was at. Now, today we're going to look at this saying, it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you don't hurt anyone. Because this saying can have some serious consequences that result from our lack of judgment and poor choices. Doesn't matter what you do, it's not your business, right? And it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you don't hurt anyone. Now, God never said that. You know, the first part of the saying, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. You know, on the surface, that looks and sounds like a pretty good rule, doesn't it? Well, I can think of things that we'd all agree are morally acceptable that we should probably avoid if others could be hurt. Swinging a baseball bat, not really harmful, is it? Unless you're standing in the middle of a crowded room. Or how about uh, if you scream for joy when you're super excited? Not really harmful, is it? Unless you're standing next to somebody who's got a screaming headache. Now, how about walking through the house with your muddy shoes on? Well, that's not harmless to anybody but you because your wife just swept the floor and she's seen you do it. Moving along. Now, try to think of something that you can do that doesn't affect anyone else, either positively or negatively. You know, there's, there's really nothing. As human beings, you know, like it or not, we're all connected in some way. Everything we do affects at least one other person. Sin always hurts someone. It might sound nice to think that you, know, you can do stuff that would make your grandma squirm, as long as you aren't hurting anybody, right? But the Bible says that all sins hurt someone. Every time you sin, it affects the people that are around you. It affects the kind of friend you are, you know, the, the type of person that you are, the, the way you treat your parents, or you know, the way that 
you look at other people. You know, and, and sin affects you yourself to your core. It affects your relationship with God. It separates you from Him. It takes your focus off of Him. So let's just say for argument's sake that what people mean when they say, I'm not hurting anyone, is really, you know, I'm not hurting anyone that I'm aware of. Or let's just say that someone might say, I'm not helping anyone, means I'm not really helping anyone that I know of. It doesn't matter how you slice it. There's always someone else involved. But today we'll look at scripture and, and we'll see what it teaches us about our behavior. So it's, our, it's our sinful nature that can hurt others. When all we care about or all that we're concerned with is ourselves, we're committing a sin. Scripture calls us to put others ahead of ourselves. No, we aren't to cause others harm. And more than that, we're to seek others' good. We're supposed to help others. And we're given the ultimate example of sacrifice in Christ. And we can find it in Philippians 2, verse 6 through 8. It says, Who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. You know, for our benefit, we're told to give up things that we can legitimately enjoy if they hurt other people. And we can find an example of this in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, verses 12 through 13. When you thus sin against the brothers, wounding their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I cause my brother to stumble. You know, we're, we're given real ethical content in the commandments. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't take someone else's wife. Do good to others. Feed the hungry. Practice justice grounded in the righteousness of God. And this is one of those scriptures that you know, kind of reinforces that. If we're going to hurt somebody by doing it, why should we do it? Now here's uh, three misbeliefs about sin to maybe help us understand it a little bit better. Now, number one, I'm not a bad person. You know, in First uh, John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth it's not in us. So if we say that we're not a bad person, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? Now, if we try to compare ourselves to others, uh, we may think or say that we're not a bad person because we can always find someone else who's far worse than we are, can't we? But other people are not the standard to which we're compared. And we're not supposed to compare ourselves to other people. Our comparison is supposed to be to Christ, right? We're supposed to be like Christ. The bad thing is, if we try to compare ourselves to Christ, we fall short. And not a little bit. We fall a lot short. And when, when you look at it that way, we do look like bad people, don't we? But here's the truth. 
We are all sinful people. Paul teaches us in Romans 3, verse 10, there is none righteous. No, not one. So that means that you're not righteous. I'm not righteous. No one is righteous. There is no one, not even one. We are all sinful in God's eyes. So here's a question for you. Do you think that there is a difference between sin now and sin the way it was back in uh, Jesus' time? Now, the second misbelief about sin is this. All sin is the same. God never said that. God's word doesn't teach us that all sin is the same. What it does teach us is that all unforgiven sin leads to death. But not all sin is the same. Paul tells us again in Romans 6, uh, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. So any type of sin, a little sin, a big sin, whatever sin you can think of, if it's unforgiven sin, it's going to lead to death. The good news is that we have the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. You know, I I heard a, a, a recent story about a pastor that illustrates this thing and the difference between uh, sin here. Now, this pastor, he was driving to work one morning, and he turned onto a four-lane road, two lanes this way, two lanes that way, and he misjudged the speed of an oncoming car. Well, the pastor should have waited, let the car go by, but he didn't. Uh, the other driver had to turn into the left lane and go around the pasture. Now, being the man of God that the pastor was, he gave the driver, you know, the sign for my bad. You know, put his head down, put his hand up. Sorry, I messed up. Well, in response, the other driver gave the pastor the universal signal for your bad. You know, the old single-finger salute. pastor didn't quite appreciate that, so he accelerated. And as he accelerated, he noticed something. The bumper sticker for his church on the back of that other car. He had just gotten flipped off by someone in his own church. Now, the pastor knew he couldn't let that person sit, so he decided to pursue the driver and eventually pulled up next to him with the light. And as he rolled down his window and he looked at the other driver, the other driver's eyes got really big and his face got all white. And the pastor shouted, God is good! And the other driver responded, all the time. You know, the other driver shooting off the middle finger at the pastor, that's sinful. But say the other driver actually shot the pastor. That's a different type of sin. Both will keep you from that full life with God if they're not forgiven. But both are not equal in terms of consequences. See, all sin is not the same. All unforgiven sin separates you from God, but all sin is not the same. So here's another question for you. Do you think that all sin is the same? And why or why not? 
Now let's look at the third misbelief about sin. Since I've already done it, I might as well keep on doing it. Sounds like an excuse a teenager gives, doesn't it? Here's a couple examples of this. Say a teenager, they might sneak out of the house one night, not get caught. Well, they've done it once, didn't get caught, might as well keep on doing it. How about a thief? Thief can steal something and not get caught. Well, they've already done it once. Might as well keep on doing it. You know, someone might think, I've done drugs. and I might as well just keep on doing those again, too. Well, this problem, you know, this behavior has been going on for thousands of years. Even back in Jesus' time. You know, the Apostle Paul asked this Question to the Romans in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? God forbid. How shall we who died in sin live any longer in it? Now, if God is going to forgive us anyways, why should we stop? If God has all this abundant grace for us, why should we change course from the sinful things that we just can't keep from doing? Should we keep on sinning because God's going to forgive us anyways? Absolutely not. But Paul answers his own question with a question. How long shall we who died in sin live any longer in it? By no means we should not. But we're smarter than that. We're better than that. Since we have died to sin, how can we live in it? Now, Jesus died for us, and we came to him, and because of our faith in him, our sin nature no longer has power over us. We now have the power of Christ. Why should we continue to go back into that which hurts the hearts of God? It hurts our own lives, hurts our own loved ones. It has the potential to hurt so many people around us. God has so many better things for us. Now, the thing about sin is that it's progressive. It's like quicksand, slowly pulling you deeper and deeper. It slowly drags you into a closer relationship with Satan, taking you further than you want to go, and it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. Now, have any of you been uh, fishing in a river with waders on? You know, it's hard to walk. With all that rushing water and all the rocks and the sticks under your feet. You know, it's, it's much easier to walk up along the shoreline. Or how about walking through feet of snow? Living here in Michigan, you've probably all experienced that. You know, it's really hard to pick your feet up and to take another step without falling on your face. It's so much easier to walk on a shovel path, isn't it? Now, can any of you remember a time when you were younger, uh, running into a pond or a lake? And you could only go so far until the water was too deep, and you fell face first and went under. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. It's from James 1, verse 14. This is what it's like when we continue to sin. It keeps pulling us down. 
We get back up and we try to keep moving forward, but it's continually pulling us down. Wouldn't it be much easier for us to walk the shoreline or, or on a plowed path? But this is what Jesus has done for us. He has plowed the path. He's made the way much easier for us. He's a clear path along the water's edge. He's a pair of snowshoes in the winter that help us to stay on top of the snow and not sink. Jesus has a pair of arm floaties or a life jacket that keeps us from drowning when we fall into the waters of sin. In our culture today, it will tell us that what we do it's not a big deal. It tells us that how we live our lives and how we treat others, how we treat ourselves, it's no big deal. I completely disagree. Our actions and our thoughts are a big deal. Jesus died for us so that we wouldn't do these things. He died and took sin with him so that we wouldn't know it. He died so we could live uh, a life free from the shackles of sin that bind us down, yet we continue to do it. So how do we keep from sinning? You know, it's not an easy thing to do. If it was, I wouldn't be sitting here talking about it today. You know, I heard that even the saintliest person sins at least seven times a day. Well, that really makes you feel good, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, it, it just goes to show you that everyone does it. You know, there is none righteous. No, not even one. Being a Christian involves turning away from sin. But we still mess up. And we can learn to rely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit to avoid sin. And here's uh, five tips that I found for avoiding sin that try and help us. Number one, recognize sin. What is sin? You know, we sin when we don't do something that we know was right to do. We also sin when we disobey God or when we do something that is against what the Bible teaches us to do, right? Pray that God will reveal that sin to you so you can work with him to stop sinning. Number two, focus on God's word. You know, the psalmist wrote that he hid God's word in my heart that I might not sin. Reading, memorizing, meditating on God's word will help you keep your mind and your heart focused on him rather than on earthly temptations. And number three, stay far from sin. Try to avoid situations and places where you may be tempted to sin. You know, the brother of Jesus encouraged believers to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Remember, God can guide you away from temptation. When we're tempted, God will show you a way out. Number four, find an ability or an accountability partner. You know, after you've prayed to avoid that sin, you might find God's answer coming in the form of a friend who helps you. And the Bible reminds us of just that in Proverbs 27, 17. As one piece of iron sharpens another, so friends keep each other sharp. You know, a person who helps us obey the Lord might not be called an accountability partner, 
People who have recognized sin in their lives, such as giving into the temptation of drugs and alcohol, they often know that a friend who encourages godly living is very helpful. And number five, repent if you sin. God knows that we make mistakes, even when we try our best to obey Him. But God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against Him. Repent, then continue to try to obey Him and to walk in His ways, so that you will not fall back into the sinful lifestyle. Learn how to repent if you don't know how. God promised that your sins will be wiped away when you repent and turn to Him. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you for being there in our time of need. We ask that you would continue to guide us away from those daily sins so that we may be a true reflection of you to others. Amen. Now this week, I want you to remember that keeping away from sin, it's a hard thing to do. We all mess up. God will always be there to help us in our time of need, no matter what. Now this week's prayer challenge, I challenge you to spend five minutes a day and pray for God's help. God's there. God is always listening. Don't be afraid to turn to God and ask him for that help. Pray for God's word to speak to you clearly. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is just to stop and be quiet and listen. And when we do, we can hear God's word a lot clearer. We need to pray for heavenly roadblocks to help steer you away from sin. You know, sometimes... God puts stuff in our way so we don't go a certain way. We need to pay attention to those because they're there for a reason. We need to pray for a friend to help you. Just as Proverbs 27, 17 says, we sharpen each other just as iron sharpens iron. God puts people in your path next to you to help you with things like this. And then we also need to pray for forgiveness. When you repent, and you turn away, he will wipe away your sins. Thanks for listening, and hopefully we can see you maybe uh, in service sometime. Uh, if not, uh, thanks for listening again. I'm Chad from Calamo, and bye for now. I hope that you've enjoyed Chad's message for us today and, and found it to be interesting and helpful. If you would like some more information, please reach out. You can put a comment in the chat box for this post, or you can call or text me at 517-588-8415, or you can always use the Calmo online connection card at calmochurch.org forward slash connect dash with Calmo. <laughs> oh my. calmochurch.org forward slash connect dash with dash Calamo. Let us know what you think or if you have any questions. I'm your dear neighbor, Jerry, pastor at Calamo Church. Have a great day, have a great week, and bye for now.